Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Tomorrow, in a world gone mad. <laughs> the only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner, and he's not walking out that door. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. <laughs> Max is a cop. One of the best. Where does it have to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, no man trash. Mm. Well, I'll add it to my trade collection. You made the news again. Charges relating hmm. to the slaying of a main force patrol officer. Who was he? In a road blockade just another glory roader, I guess. Toe Cutter is a glory roader, one of the most sadistic. Anything I say, anything you say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. <gasps> I want my baby. You've not got a sense of humor. Please don't hurt my baby. You've got a pretty face, though. Both want the other dead. But only one can have his way. Mad Max. You don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets evil. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future. Greetings from the humongous, the Lord humongous, the warrior of the wasteland, the Ayatollah of rock and roller. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet Eight. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center. Encircling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be going journeying, driving through an apocalyptic future film franchise known as Mad Max. Straight away, we're going to kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. Bob, why don't you tell us a little something-something about Mad Max. Mad Max. Well, there was a total of four movies, but I really think the most important one in the history of cinema had to be the original Mad Max, which was made in 1979 in Australia. Made Down Under by George Miller and Byron Kennedy. And they basically originally, now I know Karen kind of knows the story a little better than I do, but originally they were like, 
wanting to do a movie about like an ambulance chaser or a reporter that was reporting on uh, a lot of these gruesome accidents that happen. And then they decided, well, we'll, we'll make him a cop just to kind of take that edge off a little bit. But basically they went out, begged, borrowed, steal, stealed, stolen. Anyway, uh, <laughs> like about 350000 And I think by the time the movie was made, it might have hit about $400,000 budget. And this is like minuscule in 1979. I mean, I think Star Wars in 77 was made for, what was it, about $10 million? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And this was made for like 120th of that. So that's pretty amazing. It's so, string. Oh, definitely. And uh, they just got really lucky that uh, they went to a stage play and discovered Mel Gibson out of nowhere. Yeah, it was just a lot of amazing strokes of luck. And they were able to get a lot of people to work on shoestring budgets or shoestring salaries to make this film. In fact, they needed a motorcycle gang and they just like found one in like Sydney and had them drive themselves down to Melbourne or somewhere and just use their motorcycles for the movie. Guerrilla filmmaking at, at its finest. I mean, say what you will about the other movies. I mean, the other movies had higher budgets when Warner Brothers took over, but this was mm-hmm. definitely an independent Australian movie. And uh, they caught lightning in a bottle. In fact, American International Pictures brought it over to the U.S. and actually dubbed the movie. Oh, it was so terrible. With really, really so bad voices. So if you uh, – I have the uh, the Mad Max, all four movies in like a Blu-ray set. And I think Fury Road's in uh, 4K. But uh, yeah, if you get that set, you get the original Mad Max in, you know, with the Australia. Not that it's like a foreign language, but in the Australian dialect anyway, yeah, the original audio. So that's the way to go, definitely. Because I saw a special where they were showing clips of it with the uh, with the dub, and wow, it, it's terrible. When yeah. I the first time I saw Mad Max was with that dub because. That, oh, no. was, that was the, the tape that, you know, you could get from Blockbuster or wherever, you know, you'd go to rent it. And, uh, yeah, they had the worst caricature of, like, particularly sort of southern voices. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, yeah, it was just horrible. And, and the thing is, then when, you know, you finally hear the, uh, the original Australian, it's like, they're not that hard to understand. So why they put in these really hokey voices and the guy doing Max. So some of the other characters sound kind of, you know, they're kind of doing Southern voices. And then the Max guy is doing like this, you know, uh, I don't know, King of the Mounted Police or whatever. He's like, <laughs> I'm a hero. Dudley you know, Do-Right. I'm, yeah, he's Dudley Do-Right. Exactly. He's, Come on, know, Mel. Real, you know, tough hero voice. It was, oh, it was so hard to sit through. Well, I'm Uh, wondering, like, did they just not want people to know it was a foreign film? It was from Australia? Because, I mean, the original, I watched it, you know, the other night in the original Australian dialect, and it was fine, I thought. Right. I think um, from what I had read at the time was that they honestly felt people would have too much trouble 
understanding the Australians. And, and again, this is like 79, so it's a slightly different time, and maybe people were not as familiar with the Australian accent. But I, I mean, I know a lot of people that were kind of, they thought it was hard to understand, like Monty Python, like the British accents. Mm-hmm. Luckily, that was never dubbed, but uh, I don't know. I mean, the Australian really didn't seem that hard or that difficult. No. I think British would be worse, but... It may have been the target audience, too, that, that like, AIP thought was going to go see this film. Could yeah. be. I have more problem with Canadian dialects than, than Australian. <laughs> <laughs> it's a boot time. I'm, excuse me, what? Is that righty? Oh, yeah. some, <laughs> some of those southern accents are hard to understand. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's but, true. But, no, I think, you know, overall, though, real enjoyable film, a great action film. Probably one of the best. I mean, yes, yeah, so there's some now where it's they're way more spectacular or whatever. But if you think about Mad Max and the fact that 1979, if they wanted to roll a car and have it burst into flames, they really had to roll a car and have it burst into flames. It was all practical effects. All had to be done with stunt people, stunt drivers, stunt cars, and uh, pyrotechnics and, and the works. So... Uh, you know that that kind of thing. I you know I always admire movies that do things practically, and and they have to actually come up with ways of doing things without the actual driver bursting into flames or anyone getting hurt or killed. You know during these things. You know there were some scenes, uh, especially like people flipping over or off of motorcycles, and and they're really flipping. They're really mm-hmm. they're people. They're not dummies. And and I'm just like. God, you know, they're going to walk funny the rest of their life. Uh, you know, it, it was impressive, but they, they took a beating. That was what was so shocking, but also so exciting about Mad Max and even about, you know, Road Warriors. Like Bob said, it's practical effects. So there's stuff that they, you know, even left in that wasn't planned, like when, uh, uh, you know, when at one point – Max drives through a bunch of the bikers on a bridge and uh, one of the motorcyclists, he falls off his bike and then this other motorcycle hits him in the helmet. It's yeah. like, you can tell that's real. That's not a dummy. That's not anything that's been, you know, faked in any way. And then you mm-hmm. read stuff about it and it's like, oh yeah, we had some, you know, things happen that weren't planned. It's like, well, no, duh. Right. <laughs> this, yeah. These guys really, you know, yeah. took a beating in some of these and to situations. Kind of, and to kind of put the film in, in perspective, if you think 1979, okay, before 1979, you had car, car stunts in movies. Maybe a car would drive off a cliff, you know, and burst into flames or, you know, tumble down a hill or something. But that many car stunts in one movie. I mean, now you've got like Fast and the Furious, which I think owes their entire franchise to Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, you know, but again, the Fast and Furious, well, you know, we'll just CG a flame over here and we'll just, you know, add a computer explosion Whoa. over there. And, uh, but yeah, Mad Max, like I say, that, that many car stunts in one movie without anybody getting killed or hurt was just amazing. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like bullet, you know, Steve mm-hmm. McQueen, that was a great, you know, you have a great 
uh, right. car chase scene or the Bond films. I mean, there was always these great, you know, chase uh, uh, scenes, but nothing like we saw in uh, in Mad Max. Um, yeah, and it's funny because you know Jasmine luckily had never seen this movie. Uh, we're watching it, and what caught her attention is, oh, that's a young, handsome Mel uh, Gibson. <laughs> Yeah, well, he was so, 22, 23, I think, when he made the movie. He, yeah, yeah. He, he was in his early 20s. And um, it's always fun to watch the movie through someone's eyes when they haven't seen the film before. And and she got everything. I mean, all the, you know, the chases and the baby and, the you know, the shoe on the road and, you know, goose in the, you know, hospital and... So it was a lot of fun watching this movie. And she understood with, all the Australian accents. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she's a big fan of Crocodile Dundee, so she had no problem whatsoever. No. <laughs> well, that was another amazing stunt too, where uh, Goose, you oh. know, basically takes a flying leap on his uh, yeah. motorcycle and falls off and tumbles through the the weeds. Yeah, and, and you know that baby in the beginning uh, with, uh, with the the night rider. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And and you know just the way he he made you feel uncomfortable, the way he was just so crazy and you know yelling and that kid in the street and the cars vroom, driving by and that kid in the middle of the cars and it was very exciting. And there's just the style to the overall film that really captured my attention um i hadn't seen the movie for 20 years i mean 15 at least but it was just very well made and it was gritty you know it it wasn't like this refined process Mm -hmm. like i i think because they threw money at at uh, mad max the second mad max movie the road warrior they threw money at that and that just had more of a Hollywood feel to it. I can't really describe it better than that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at Mad Max, I mean, everyone thinks of Mad Max as like post-apocalyptic and all. But in the first movie, it's, it just takes place a few years from now. And, right. you know, people are still running ice cream shops and, you know, mm-hmm. mechanics are still out there and cops are still patrolling. And it's like, yeah, you know, it just seems like you're in the outback. You're not in an apocalypse. Well, Whereas once they got the budget, then then they had more of an apocalyptic world. But yeah, right. I know. Oh, it, well, it, you know, like Bob said um, initially, the idea had changed. You know, as they went along and and the things they wanted to do, and and uh, Miller had said that. They really they didn't have a deep backstory for Mad Max other than they were influenced by the oil crisis that occurred in the 70s, you know, and the things he had seen during the oil crisis where people would actually, you know, get into fist fights at the the gas pump and and stuff like that. And so they they did have this illusion in the the film that there was an oil shortage, a gas shortage. But yeah, there wasn't. We didn't have this full-blown, you know, apocalypse or dystopian future in the first film. But then that that morphs as we go along, right? So by the time we get to the next film, we're in a full-blown 
dystopian future, societies collapsed. You know, they have the prologue, which basically says, you know, two mighty powers went to war. Now, if, there's a there's a really good um, YouTube channel called Mad Max Bible. This guy has like five or six videos, and he looks at like scripts and interviews and things like that with um, the folks who made the films. And so, by Road Warrior, they had come up with a backstory. They got they brought on a guy named Terry Hayes to help them write the films. And so, at that point, they decided, oh, Saudi Arabia and Iran went to war. And when they went to war, it, it resulted in all the, the oil, you know, getting burnt up. And so that's when things really started going to hell. But there still wasn't like a, a nuclear confrontation. But somehow, when we get to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and you get those freaking kids, then we've got the nuclear apocalypse, right? So that happened at some point, maybe after... Road Warrior? I don't know. Somewhere in there, somebody dropped a bomb or many bombs, and we've got an apocalypse. And then, I don't know, Fury Road, I just throw in the towel. I, I don't know if it's an alternate universe version of Mad Max or what, but it seems like we have not only nuclear apocalypse, but complete loss of resources and everything. So, I don't know, gentlemen. It's it's hard to put the continuity together with everything. By that time, anything goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, and, and here's the thing. Gr granted, not to that extreme uh, as in the Mad Max films, but, you know, within the last three years, I've lived through, we've lived through a global <laughs> pandemic, um, the largest volcanic eruption, along with earthquakes and fires in mm -hmm. California and, you know, uh, ice storms in the east and, uh, and, and now the potential for World War III and this whole Ukrainian thing happened like that out yeah. of the blue. So can I believe that we went through, uh, you know, in this Mad Max, the Hall of Justice where the J's falling off and the signs all jacked up. And, you know, their version of the Highway Patrol has, what, three or four? And two of those officers are good and the other two are me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. In the beginning of the second movie, The Road Warrior, they kind of say, well, you know, the government's fought and the people did this and, you know, whatnot. So, hey, in, in another year or two, could we be uh, following cars that crash and pulling gas out of their tank? And then could there be a World War III? And I hope not. In the At next this point, anything year. goes, really, right? Well, see, if that is our future... That's exactly why you don't want to be driving around in a Prius right now. <laughs> I got my truck. I'm ready. But I got my Mustang. I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah. Ever since I saw that Interceptor, oh man, I love that car. That V8 Interceptor is so beautiful. So Karen's got the Interceptor. I've got the truck. Larry, <laughs> uh, uh, Bob, what happened to the Dragon Mobile? Oh, uh, yeah. I had to I had to turn in to pay for the truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, gas prices again. I don't want to get into reality too much, but gas prices being what they are now, I'm driving my little pickup truck more than anything because it's a four cylinder stick. I, so yeah, I don't blame you. You know, you get so many miles 
to the gallon. I, m- I might be out there siphoning gas soon. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I told Jazz it's going to be like Gilligan's Island. We'll be riding bikes and, you know, power stuff. <laughs> Tell her to work on her coconut recipes. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, um, I didn't get around to Fury Road this time. But, yeah, that kind of like, I don't know, was it like, 20 years from when we saw the original Mad Max in continuity. I mean, I know it's a made up universe. It's a movie and stuff, but well, it doesn't make a lot of sense because Tom Hardy would be too young to be the same Max. Yeah. How did it get that bad with the water? Well, uh, uh, global warming. Let's, let's, let's move on to road warrior and we can, well, well, let me let me just say I, I downloaded this list here because I think one of the funnest things about these movies is actually the character names. Oh. And I think, you know, they were probably watching Speed Racer a little bit with like Skullduggery and AC Ducey and Cruncher Block and Snake Oiler and these guys. But um, – this has a list of a bunch of the characters from the movies, and these some of these some of these names. If you just watch the movies, you'll kind of miss, you know, you'll miss the names, you'll miss the character. But uh, they had Fifi, they had Bubba Zanetti, <laughs> mm-hmm. Papagallo, Scuttle, Sprog, Slit, Mister Scratch, Johnny the Boy, mm-hmm. Cheeto the Fragile. Slake McThirst, uh, that's right out of Speed Racer. Uh, The Knight Rider, of course. The Collector. The Toady. uh, The Splendid. uh, How do you do this? Argorod. Splendid Argorod. Curmudgeon. Clunk. Grinner. Big Rebecca. Iron Bar Basie. Miss Giddy. Diabondo, the People Eater, the Dog Blackfinger, Wes, Jim Goose, um, Imper- Imperator Ferocia, Killer of the Seeds. Now, what that means, I have no idea. Ton Ton Tattoo, Grease Rat. Uh, skip some of these. Uh, Mud Guts. We had uh, Bear Claw Mohawk, Screw Loose, of course, Pig Killer, Dr. Deal Good. Uh, this is one of my favorites. I don't remember which movie it was from. Coma Doof Warrior. Uh, oh, was that the guitar player? Coma from, Doof Warrior, maybe. From Fury Road? It's just the fact that they can work Doof in there. <laughs> Toe Cutter. Feral Kid, Master Blaster, Rictus Erectus, and of course, who could forget Lord Humongous? I'm the Lord Humongous. Lord <laughs> Humongous. Well, I think you forgot one of uh, the most important Sprog, Max's. Max's son, Sprog. Didn't I do Sprog? Anyway, I, I skipped a couple that were uh, <laughs> that weren't quite as Sprog. crazy, but. Before we jump over to to um, the Road Warrior, I thought it was interesting with the ambulance idea. You know, initially, uh, Miller 
was he was a medical student or did he actually? Oh, he was a doctor. A he worked. Yeah. He worked in the ER. There yeah. you go. He had so, experienced all these aftermaths of massive crashes <laughs> and things. Isn't that funny? He's like, well, I was, I'm a doctor, but you know what? I think I'd rather make movies. So, <laughs> but you know, uh, which member was it? Graham Chapman of Monty Python, who yeah. was also a doctor. He was a he was a physician. Yeah. So. You know, sometimes they just go, "Man, this is this is not what I want to do." I, I mean, Monty Python—they were all highly educated. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too. I read somewhere he was a fan of like Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, and wanted to kind of, you know, incorporate that kind of filmmaking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, some of those stunts kind of takes me back to that idea. Um, well, he said he also was impressed and, and a fan of um, Alfred Hitchcock uh-huh. and that H- Hitchcock had said that he wanted to make movies where the fans and the theater goers in Japan didn't have to read the subtitles to understand what was going on. And Miller really oh. embraced that idea. But of course, I mean, he's there's operating in somewhat different genres. But still, that oh, yeah. con- you can tell. I mean, his films, you know, you can... Well, I, I thought you were going really to say that Hitchcock wanted to make movies with a bunch of car crashes. <laughs> yeah. You know, he never got to do his big car crash movies. You know, I was kind of thinking back, you know, we were talking about what was there before Mad Max. And I think the only thing that would come close would be like Death Race 2000. That's it's more point. comical, yeah. obviously, and the ca- right. cars yeah. all had fangs and horns and whatever, but I mean, there were a lot of car stunts and crashes and things in there. That's true. Um, one last thing before we move on. We kind of talked about this beforehand is that they had a budget of like 400000 um to to make the movie, and they made like a gazillion dollars at the box office. Um, they held like the world record, Guinness Book of World Record, for a number of years. And Karen was saying, um, whatchamacallit, uh, beat them out. Um, uh, Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch it, Project. It, it took a, a while. Yeah, they held that record for quite some time. For And I don't remember how much. Did they make like $100 million or something like that? Something like that. And really, you know, if, if you look at it. Which movie would you rather if if someone's going to sit you down tomorrow and watch a movie? If you got to pick between <laughs> Mad Max and the Blair Witch Project, oh, man. what are you going to yeah. pick? There's there is no choice. Death Race Two Thousand. Now I will say, <laughs> Frankenstein. I, while, Frankenstein. While I, I like Mad Max. It it drags in the middle. The beginning of the film is is perfect. Where you have the chase, where they chase the Knight Rider, and and the way they set up Max, where he just plays that game of chicken with him and everything, is is Uh like perfect. And the end is also perfect, where he goes on his vengeance and cuts down all those guys. But the middle is is kind of soft. You know, it's a little – I found my attention wandering in the middle. So I can't give it – it's not like a – perfect film to me but it's a very good film well it's, it's kind of funny too because in the first movie you know your your hero max is wearing like a light blue button-down shirt and some khakis and then <laughs> as things develop he gets into the leather and that but but yeah he's definitely uh 
his appearance, let's say, changes movie to movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, as the world gets further and further into chaos and apocalypse and there's less and less of whatever it is that we consider um, humanity. And um, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I would even call him a hero in the remaining movies. Maybe at best an anti-hero because he's he's still so he's so motivated just on his mostly his own survival. Yeah, he's very selfish, that's true. Well, but it's sort of like you know, that you have to be, right? It's every man for himself. I guess the thing that separates him from say the marauders in Road Warrior is he's not going out of his way to like rape and murder people. You mm-hmm. know, he's trying to stay alive and trying to, you know, salvage stuff. Um, he's still, and he, it, one of the things, I guess we're kind of jumping ahead, but like he will honor his word. Like when he makes a deal with Papagayo and, uh, um, to go out and get the rig and bring it back yeah. and everything. Like he still has vestiges of civilization, whereas the rest of those guys, Humongous's crew, they don't. They don't have any honor or, or ability to function. Yeah. See, that, that's the thing, person. too, though. It's like Max will help people, but it's usually to get something. Right. Like, you know, I'll go and get you a big truck, but I need my car back and I need all mm-hmm. the gas I can carry. Well, but he could, have, he could have helped Humongous and those guys. He, he chose to help the right. others. That's true. Kind of like a Frank Castle, kind of almost like a Punisher mentality. I mean, maybe because it's the humongous, you know, folks that that did what, you know, his his kid and his wife Mm -hmm. in the first film were the bandits like that. Um, hmm. Yes, let us move on to The Road Warrior, the second film in the Mad Max franchise. Um, That one came out in what, 81? Right. Yeah, okay. and like and like I said before, it's like Warner Brothers took over, gave them a big budget, gave it wide distribution, and even with all that, did it even do as well as Mad Max? Well, the, the oh. yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah? Okay. the question. I don't know what they spent on it. Uh, no, it did. I I think it did pretty well. It's funny though. I don't feel it's that Hollywood to me. I felt like when we get to the next movie. It feels real Hollywood to me. This one still feels more of a... Australian? Yeah, it feels more genuine. I mean, it just feels like they're still staying true to whatever their vision was. It also has one of the best car action sequences, like just to open the movie. Oh, yeah. It's, it's still just fantastic as far as the, the action sequences. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was just reading here. Apparently, it was not the number one grossing film in Australia that went to Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Oh, Gallipoli. 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 It's a World War One film, and I think yeah, Mel Gibson was in that as well. So it wasn't Crocodile Dundee then. <laughs> Let's see. Well, yeah. Wiki says that. What does it say? Box office, thirty-six million. I'm surprised. I would think it would be more than that. Well, see, now you're saying Mad Max made like a hundred million. So, 
Well, let me go check Mad Max. I don't know if any of the others beat Mad Max. Maybe Fury Road, just because of inflation and all that. But but uh, I mean, huh. you're going with the U.S. box office, not the global box office. So there's a distinction. That's yeah. This is true. Global is probably probably kicks it up pretty high. In any case, yes, so Mad Max 2. This was probably my favorite movie for many years. Um, I, you know, growing up in Central Coast, California, there was nothing to do pre-internet except drive around. And (laughs) And wreck cars, cool. (laughs) We used to drive around, we used to race. Um, We had these feral kids with boomerangs that would pop up and tassel rolls. We had to be careful. They used to jump out of the the side of the road and throw boomerangs at us. No, but, you know, it's just – I don't know for you guys how strong that car culture was because even though you're California, you're like in a big city. So, Well, I mean you're talking to a guy who grew up in the 70s and we had the muscle cars and we used to Mm -hmm. cruise up and down uh, the main strip here in El Camino – and uh, people would park on the side of the road and pop their hoods open so everyone could check out their engines. And yeah, it was just that was Friday, every Friday night, you'd be cruising up mm-hmm. and down the L. So, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a really appealing film in the sense of like just seeing people racing around, driving around really fast and stuff. And I saw this way before I saw Mad Max. I think I didn't see Mad Max. I'd sought out Mad Max after I saw this. It oh, really? took another couple of years, yeah, before the hmm. the video store had it. Well, that's the thing. That was like the very early origins of video stores, too. So it's mm-hmm. like if you missed a movie in the theater and it doesn't like play on TV, mm-hmm. you're not going to see it, you know, unless you go to like a rep house or somewhere where some theater that's showing older movies. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, 81 is still pretty early. What was it, 81, 82? 81, but, uh, yeah. 81. Yeah. It was, this was, like, mind-blowing in the theater, you know, because I think we just got, like, the THX mm. sound in the theater and everything. I was like, holy crap. I went and saw it a bunch of times, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, yeah it was just an yeah. amazing and film. And I think and, when and, they made the film, they were basically approaching it from like Mad Max not existing. So like this thing could like stand on its own. They use clips from Mad Max during the prologue. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh you know when they're talking about the apocalypse and stuff and they'll they'll show scenes from Mad Max, but they don't make a lot of connections to it. It's kinda like here's a standalone yeah. movie and here we go. And that oh, no. could have been Warner Brothers, you know, saying telling them to do that. I I heard that they did that because they said not enough people in the U.S. had seen the first one, so they Walker being one of them. <laughs> yeah, so they they Case said in that, point. They, that's why they called it Road Warrior here instead of Mad Max Two. Everywhere else in the the world, it was Mad Max Two, but not enough people in the U.S. saw it, so they didn't mm. want to tie it too closely to that film because nobody knew what Mad Max was, so. You know, um, and, and I should have said this before, but I was thinking, um, 
Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I think someone commented on one of your posts that they were actually there when they filmed Mad Max. Yeah. So, and, and I was like, really? how cool is that? that how come we're not really having cool. them on the show right now? So I, because I, <laughs> I'm an idiot. I don't know. Sean Brady. So Sean is a very cool cat. Of, uh, been uh, a friend of his on Twitter and Facebook for a few years. And yeah, he is one of our um, friends from down under. I know he follows the show. So hi, Sean. And um, hi. yeah, I was so impressed with that, that he, as a kid, he grew up around where they were filming and he got to see them, you know, filming some scenes like he mentioned uh, in Mad Max when uh, Max is going to take off after the Night Rider Mm-hmm. That scene where he pulls out and goes down the road, he Sean got to see that being filmed, and so uh, yeah, can only imagine how cool that would be to see it being filmed and then go see the movie, and even now it's, watch the movie and think about oh yeah right. I saw that <laughs> I was there. He had made mention that um, Mel Gibson looked real intimidating, so he didn't go up and like ask for an <laughs> autograph or anything like that. Like I would have been in the same frame of mind. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that was really, really cool. I can only imagine something like that. I never, I yeah, I've never seen. Oh, the closest I think I ever came to seeing a movie film. Remember when they were <clears throat> filming the Matrix sequels out in yeah. Uh, Alameda? Open. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Upon the anyway, I yeah, I remember I, when I was in like eighth grade. There was this mansion across the street from our school. And they were shooting Streets of San Francisco over there. Oh, a Martin uh, Quinn production. Yeah, and Ken Martin and I snuck out of class to go watch them shoot Streets of San Francisco. (laughs) And uh, Sister Teresa, with her battle scar, she uh, caught us. And we had a a few days after school after that. But, um, yeah, that. And then... A few things here and there, but that was probably the earliest thing I remember watching being filmed. Oh, that's cool. Did you, who is was that? No, it wasn't Carl Malden on that, was it? Yeah, Carl Malden and Michael Douglas. Yeah, Carl Michael Malden, Douglas. Yeah, Michael okay. Douglas, and then at one point in time, Richard Hatch. Yeah, my wow. all my friends used to say that my dad looked like Carl Malden. Oh. Just because he had like the hmm. big nose. <laughs> but anywho, um, yeah, I, I I don't have a pro. I mean, if, if you know, so I watched Mad Max and then I watched Road Warrior, and I I got it. I I could see where Max became the Road Warrior. I mean, he still had the interceptor, the nice engine block. What what really like you know you're not really going to cry in these movies, but. I did get a little verklempt when they 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 killed his dog, man. Yeah. You just you don't kill people's dogs in in well, TV shows or movies. You, you, you can kill babies people. in movies all day long, but as soon as the dog gets hit, man, oh. that's it. <laughs> it's like they're they're really bad back. people, you know. They are. They are. Just ask but, John Wick. <laughs> oh man, that yeah, that's a whole nother. Yeah, so we get to to Road Warrior and things are really falling apart. Max is a complete loner, and except for his dog, he's got his dog. Right. 
Right. And uh, he's being uh, the first scenes we see is he's being you know attacked by these marauders. Right. And yeah, great another great action sequence, right, to start off the film. And these are marauders. I mean, they they were like you know there there were wrestlers that took some of the looks from those marauders like the road warriors and the wcw and and stuff but they had you know mohawks and you know chains on pieces of their face and you know it was just a really steampunk kind of dystopian mm-hmm. i mean oh man uh very exciting stuff though that you know just straight away it, it opens up with max like you know running out of fuel you know, running the big engine and, you know, trying to almost play road chess with these with these marauders. Um, well, I loved how he got them to basically shoot each other. You yeah. know, they're coming up on either side of him and he puts on the brakes and wham, <laughs> shoot each other. Good stuff. Yeah. But then he goes and tries to steal gas out of a uh, like a one man helicopter. Well, yeah, and that that actor, I can't think of his name. Um, uh, Bruce Spence. Yeah. Bruce Spence. And he He comes in and surprises him out of nowhere. But then they kind of become reluctant allies for a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't trust him. He he got the better of Max, and he was, you know, kind of like, ha, 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 ha. But then Max gets the better of him. And there's this one scene where Max is eating a can of dog food. That's his dinner. And, you know, he gets a little more than halfway through, throws the can to the dog. And here's the gyrocopter guy trying to get a little piece of the dog. Morning, he puts his finger in the can and pull it out like dog spit mixed with <laughs> dog food. I'm just like, oh, what I, I love about that scene is when he, Max is eating the food, the gyro captain and the dog are both asleep, and then they both wake up and, and look at him while he's eating. And the gyro captain pulls open. He has this, like, ridiculously long jacket. He pulls open the jacket, and he pulls out a wooden spoon. Yeah, like, why good. is he carrying around <laughs> this big wooden spoon? Always be prepared. But he's he's like a gentleman. He's still civilized in some yeah regard right so instead of using his hands or whatever he's got his spoon that he's gonna eat with and i think in some ways the relationship between the two of them he sort of has this effect on max to kind of bring him back to civilization on some level you know max doesn't trust anybody doesn't want to be around anybody but the gyro captain is still like like when he gets in that group of um, survivors, you know, he's smiling and talking to all of them. He's you know glad handing everybody and working. Max is just like off to the side, like a you know wild dog or whatever. He's just he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And I think he has the gyro captain has this effect on Max because he keeps trying with Max. You know, he keeps trying to talk to him. He keeps trying to like get to him. Well, and there's this scene where, you know, Max brings in one of the victims from the Marauders, you know, the, the, the folks at the refinery were trying to get that, that rig. And he, he tells them, look, I, I can take you back where, you know, but, but you're going to compensate me 
enough fuel, you know, for my car. And the guy's like, yes, yes, we have plenty of fuel. And, you know, the, the, the poor woman is sprawled out there half naked. I mean, God knows what they did to her. And he leaves her and picks up the guy and takes him in there. And they're very, you know, suspicious of Max. And, you know, they, they finally get him into the compound. And, you know, one of the ladies calls him out. He's not a good guy. He he did this because he wanted gas. He didn't know whatever the guy's name was. And, um, you know, they ask, where's the girl? Oh, I left her. You know, she, she's out there. with them. Did you see two other guys? No, didn't see anybody else. Just him. Can I have my fuel now? And it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the marauders started attacking again, and then Max is sitting there, right? And he hears they're looking for the rig and, he finally speaks up and he says, hey, I, I can get the rig. I saw, you know, two or three days ago. Just give me all the fuel I can carry and diesel and high octane. So they reluctantly make this bargain with him to get the rig and mayhem ensues. <laughs> <laughs> Fun and frivolity. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you, you also have the feral kid who is like yet another oh, figure yeah. who sort of starts to have an effect on Max, you know? And he doesn't, again, he doesn't want to have anything to do with him, right? He's just like, go away, kid, you know? But... Well, I think part of it, and they didn't really spell this out, but attachment brings loss, and loss brings pain. Mm -hmm. And I think Max was just trying to, you know, I, I don't need that. It hurts too much, or, you know, whatever. It's like, I think he still had a form of post-traumatic stress, oh, losing yeah. his wife and, and kid, you know? And again, that wasn't spelled out. This is me, you know, interpreting whatever. But no, that I, kid was. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, no, I think you're right because I don't think yeah. back then they felt the need in films to like hit you over the head with stuff like that. Right. You right, know, right. you just understood that, you know, yeah, he's a loner because he lost his family and that's it. And you didn't have to psychoanalyze anybody. You just, right. Um, that kid, though, was. Great. I mean, and and then one of the doofuses in the marauding group goes to try and get, has this boomerang <laughs> that is like a, a a knife boomerang, like a and and the kid has this huge leather glove, you know. And when we say kid, what was he like? All of seven years old or something? A little He's pretty pretty tiny kid. kid. Yeah, and he had this like huge like mane of hair. Um, and then one of the marauders he goes to catch it and off comes his fingers <laughs> you know? I, I feel bad you that kid. i laugh every time i see that scene i know it's like <laughs> it's it's horrible but it's like he's such a moron and then of course it it winds up um killing uh the uh i don't know lover partner whatever of uh wes yeah goes absolutely ballistic and uh then winds up, you know, having to be corralled by the humongous. Yeah. And humongous. I, I forgot because I haven't seen this film for a while. Yeah. This dude's ripped. <laughs> <laughs> like, jeez. And that's all weightlifting, man. Hammer. They didn't have a lot of steroids back then. Oh, man. Maybe it was the nuclear waste or whatever. I, I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, that he right square in the in the guy's head. Yeah, and and as a little kid, you know, he when Max gives him that um, music, it's it's the 
guts of the music box, but you, mm-hmm. you turn the thing and it still plays happy birthday. And the kid plays it backwards. It's like, don't do not do And he does that. Ah, ah, ah. You know, like, <laughs> just so little meant so much to that kid. It, it was great. There, there was another great scene too, where, you know, Max is going to, either he's leaving or he's going to get the rig or whatever. And that kid packs up his little leather, you know, spare pair of shorts and, and, and Max is like, get out of here. Go on. The kid's just like, Oh, but that kid ends up saving Max's life <laughs> mm-hmm. later on in the film. Um, what happened? So Max says, I'll go get it. And the leader of the group's like, oh, he was going to do it, but he got um, bow and arrowed in the hip, so he couldn't drive, right? So he convinces the group to say, okay, yeah, let let Max go. No, no. Because the group – oh, go ahead. Well, that's that happens later after Max brings the rig back. It's, the guy oh, gets okay. shot. Right, right, so right. They, they give him the gas. They figure they've got his car, so he's got to come back for his car. So he's taking the gas and he's going out in the dark to go back to the rig. Now, I have never been able to see very clearly exactly what happens, but apparently he walks off like a ridge or something and falls. And he's right near the marauder's camp. And so they hear the, the gas cans rattle and one of them comes to investigate. I think it's the bear claw guy. And then the, uh, the little feral kid starts howling like a wolf. He's because yeah. apparently he's been following Max, and so then the the guy thinks it's wolves, or I don't know, are there wolves out in the Australian desert? <laughs> I don't it's know. Dystopian. Who knows? Uh, have be dingoes or something? Now, dingo ate the baby. There you go. Might have been a dingo. So he, yeah, he throws a rock at him or whatever, and and yeah, he Max continues on the way with the gas to the the rig. But yeah, it's it's kind of odd because it's so dark; it's hard to see. Yeah, but he just yeah. seems to like take a step and fall down like this crevice or something. I tell you, that kid—he's great. But well, and it's it's interesting when I see this film, and then I saw Thunderdome. I'm not trying to jump ahead, but like, there's so much stuff in this film that I liked, but then. They take it and they try to amp it up to 11 in Thunderdome, and I don't like it. We have one little kid in this movie, and then we have like a gazillion little kids in the next movie, you know. Well, you know, one kid was good, then, you know, a gazillion is even better. Yeah. But here's here's my question, because I had read that Byron Kennedy was like the idea guy. mm Mm-hmm. When did he pass away? 83. So he was still there for uh, for Road Warrior. Right. But he wasn't there for Thunderdome, right? Thunderdome you... was 80, 45? 85. 85, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that could have been a big part of it. You know, here's the guy with all of the big ideas and he's gone. That's a very good point. Bob, I hadn't thought of that, but you make a good point because, yeah, he was the one who originally, ever since he was a kid, wanted to make a movie 
what was it called? Police chase or car chase or something. That was his big thing he wanted to do. And of course they did Mad Max and, you know, he had all these other ideas that he wanted to do. And I, I don't know, but I do feel, I, I know I told you guys, I feel like Miller's been making the same movie over and over, just more excessive each time. Cause yeah, I was watching some special and, uh, Somebody was commenting commenting on the fact that uh, that Miller was there all the time on the set. He was like overseeing everything. Mm-hmm. Byron, Brian, not so much. He was kind of behind the scenes, and uh, and that that's when they commented that he was more of the idea guy that came up with all the all the different ideas for the movies and and that. So so I think they definitely missed him once he was yeah. gone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, you look at, I mean, a lot of famous pairings, Stanley and Jack Kirby or Lennon and McCartney or whoever you want to say, you know, they complimented each other and probably held each other in check, you know, so that their excesses excesses didn't get out of control. Um, well, you know, there's that. And then when the studio is involved, I mean, you know, it, it's a corporate mentality yeah. and, and they start screwing with things, too. And, you know, I so I don't know what happened with with uh, Thunderdome. I mean, they got Tina Turner supposed to be this, you know, big to do. And what? What? Well, Tina Turner was huge back then. Yeah. I mean, she, she, she had just kind of gotten out of the th- out from under the oppressive thumb of Ike Turner. Yeah. And she was starting her solo career and, you know, what's love got to do with it? And she had big hits. And so, yeah, then they grabbed her and put her in this movie. Just the fact that they would think that they should put a, a R and B or soul singer or anybody famous like that in a Mad Max movie (laughs) tells me that they lost their direction. You know, they just lost it. Or they just wanted a, a name person to draw people in. I mean, was Mel Gibson a a name actor by then? I think by 85, hadn't he done some other stuff by then? Um, Perhaps, but I don't it? think he was like the household name that, that he was after that. Yeah, that, that could be. Um, as well, far as gosh. being like a marquee draw. I don't, yeah, I don't, I wasn't prepared to look up Mel Gibson, oddly enough. Um, Of course, you know, there was a reason he didn't, they didn't bring him, there were a couple of reasons they didn't bring him back for Fury Road. Um, Well, the Road Warrior was what, 81? 81. yeah. And well, then, he did. Uh, after that, he did Year of Living Dangerously, The Bounty, The River. So he did. He did a couple of things. He was kind yeah, of starting he, to get more famous. At he that was point. just starting to get more famous. But as uh, I was mentioning before the before we started recording, I thought the funny thing being Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and Thunderdome is in the movie for maybe you know two three minutes. <laughs> Long enough for a, a bungee fight, and then it was gone. Well, it, it, I made a few comments on Twitter about my feelings about the film. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, it did. And, uh, <laughs> Let's not hold back now. 
I, well, I've never, I've never liked it because again, it just went even more excessive. You know, it took some of the things in Road Warrior that I liked, you know, the Marauders and stuff. But then everybody in Barter Town looks like one of those Marauders. You know, you've got all these people with mohawks and the shoulder pads. It's, a, it's like, why would they all look that way? That doesn't make any sense to me. And and then, uh, you know, again, the stuff with the kids. Somebody made a good point saying it almost feels like two movies. You have the Barter Town sequence. Where he comes in, he's trying to get his vehicle and possessions back. He has to fight the guy. Then he can't kill Blaster because of what's going. He realizes what's going on, and then they shoot him off into the wasteland. And then all the stuff with the kids—it's like a totally different movie, and the tone changes. And I don't know. I just, but it feels like a big Hollywood movie where they wanted to do something that would appeal to families. It's like that's not what a Mad Max film is, you know. And I think one problem, too, is when you're making a sequel, some some people, like, get obsessed with how do we top the last one? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not good to top the last one. You know, maybe it's better yeah. to just make another good movie. Right. Well, I had read, so... Um Byron Kennedy, a, uh, he was location sh- scouting for Beyond Thunderdome when he crashed in the, was it a plane or a helicopter? Helicopter. I think it was a crash. helicopter. Yeah. It's probably that gyrocopter, right? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Reusing everything. Yeah. That's right. So then Miller was like co director. He didn't like direct Thunderdome. Who's the other guy? George Oglivy? Ogilvy? Part my Ogilvy? Maybe. Um, anyway, you know, he makes mention he just lost his friend. His heart just really wasn't in it. What happened to the script and the story? I don't know. Well, you know, studio and new creative team and what have you. Um, maybe they kind of lost vision a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And the score. Oh, my God. Now, I know Maurice Jarre. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, is a well-known composer. And he did Lawrence of Arabia and a bunch of other big Hollywood movies, but that score was totally not what they, I mean, Brian May, who was not a member of Queen, (laughs) not that Brian May, (laughs) the first two films, the scores, especially that score for Road Warrior, those were fantastic. Those were great. Really, the second one is a really, really great score. And then you go to the third one, and the score is just so wishy-washy and soft, and oh, it's just so terrible. I, I just, I don't know. It really stood out to me how, how, like what they lost going, switching composers. It, it, but it's again, it's the whole thing of the movie, right? They just went so Hollywood with it. It just watered down the concept. So well, that much. was kind of like my one of my complaints about movies in the eighties, TV shows especially is suddenly you had like synthesizers and you didn't need an entire orchestra. You could do one guy in a studio with a synthesizer and make it sound quote unquote like an orchestra. And it really never did. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes they uh, use them to good effect, like, you know, chariots of fire or what have you, but sometimes not so much. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Chariots of Fire, I can see that. I was thinking more like the Sing. It would just <laughs> Well, I mean, you can even, <laughs> you know, you, know, you go all the way back to uh, Forbidden Planet and look at all, you know, it was just like electronic noise was basically the soundtrack. Right. With theremins and what have you. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Synthesizers just, I don't know, it almost makes a film or a TV show kind of seem cheap, basically. This movie to me was more like about sound bites. Welcome to another episode of Sunday Home! And you're like, oh! Then you watch it and you're like, wah, wah. <laughs> what happened? Two go in, one comes out. Two go in, one comes out. But not really. Okay. Yeah. Well, but not this time. Enough, I think it was Siskel and Ebert, it was Roger Ebert, had praised that fight scene like, oh my God, not since Karate Kid have I seen <laughs> such a great fight. I'm like, did we watch the same movie? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> oh that was before Jackie Chan came over here and became <laughs> yeah, big. You know. <laughs> Um, but that movie pretty much put the nail in the coffin of Mad Max franchise for decades. You know, oh, see, a thought comes into the head and then it goes out of the head and then you scramble Two thoughts go in and thought. one comes out. <laughs> one goes out and none come out. And one goes in and one come out. I will say I was very disturbed to read that. Miller may have stolen an idea from this writer that he talked to. There was this guy named Russell Hoban who wrote a novel called Ridley Walker. No relation. And yeah. it was a science fiction novel and it was and it featured these these kids in a dystopian future who spoke in this strange language. That might sound a little familiar. <laughs> And apparently George Miller had a meeting with this this writer and talked to him about his ideas. And then they didn't talk again, and the guy thought nothing of it. And then, you know, I don't know, a year or two later, he's seeing this movie come out. And, and lo and behold, there's this group of abandoned kids who all speak this strange dialect in it. And um, it seems like it... it just seems like Miller pretty much took that idea from the guy's book and didn't credit him well, or give him any. Th this is why Grogu does not talk in the Mandalorian. They didn't want to have any of these complications. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the Jedi Temple from the time before before? <laughs> Anywho, um, wasn't there a rumor that Furiosa was the next film planned in the franchise they had been talking about it for a while and right. they were and the pandemic hit well so actually miller wanted to make a mad max tv show in the ah. the late 80s 80s early 90s along the lines of like the xena franchise and he even had yeah. a guy picked out to play max and then that guy got in an accident a very serious accident and they kind of shelved it. And then they, yeah, they started putting together the the Fury Road idea. And they were looking to film with Gibson in the early 2000s. But 
the funding dropped out because uh, they were going to film in Africa and then all sorts of stuff was going on. And then they were going to try again a few years later, but that's when Mel Gibson, all the shit went down with him and his career as, you know, I'm sure people are well aware of all of his various issues. Let's Um, just say idiosyncrasies. (laughs) We can leave it at that. And then I guess he, he kind of left it alone for a while and then they finally picked it up again, but realized they couldn't use Gibson and then actually for a while they were thinking about Heath Ledger and they talked to Heath Ledger and then we all know what happened to Heath Ledger. So they wound up with Tom Hardy. And uh, from what I understand, a lot of the script, most of the script really didn't change that much from what they intended for Mel Gibson. I mean, it was supposed to be a much older Max on sort of his final adventure. And supposedly the script did not really change that much uh, when they decided to, you know, go with Tom Hardy and then a few years went under the the bridge or however you want to look at it. Well, I mean, comparatively speaking, there wasn't a lot of dialogue in the movie. (laughs) And as I was mentioning before the podcast, in fact, I even messaged you guys while I was watching the movie saying, you know, I'm about halfway through this film and I'm waiting for a plot to show up. And it never yeah. really did. <laughs> well, I think that's what happens when you decide you want to make a movie out of the final chase sequence of The Road Warrior, which is what I heard was their motivation. They wanted to take mm. that last chase sequence and just make a movie that was one long chase sequence. I mean, you have to admit, you know, all the car chases and crashes and all, everything's very impressive. There's just, you know, such a very thin thread holding them all together mm-hmm. that, you know, overall the movie kind of falls apart. And yes, you know, friend of the show, Lord Bloodraw says just, you know, sit back and enjoy the ride. You know, don't try to overthink it. But I don't know. I, I need a little more story in there. He he really likes the film, and he made a good point. It it is reminiscent to him of uh, heavy metal, the animated um, film. Um, I you know I can see that. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around Bane played Mad Max. I was waiting for him. Welcome to Fury Road. Jean Luc's clone. Jean Luc's clone. Oh. Venom. Yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what hurts more, him playing Venom or Jean Luc's. Nope, Jean Luc's clone. That that hurts more. Okay. Well, I know what hurts the most is Data's Ugh. death in don't that film. There. So, yeah, I won't talk about it. Yeah. Well, what a waste. I know I have mentioned to you, fine gentlemen, that. Yeah, I really don't care for Fury Road. And I know most people are like, what? It's such a great movie. It's so the production design is so brilliant. And it's to me, it's just too excessive. It's too excessive. You know, he, he it's like Miller took all the stuff from Road Warrior that was kind of cool. The the Marauders and their look and 
And then he just decided to, like I, I told you guys earlier, it's just like a cartoon. It's just like goofy and ridiculous to me. Um, and plus, there's just a lot of really kind of gross stuff going on in there. Like he's got those really <laughs> gross women hooked up to milking machines and, <laughs> and like some people with some serious physical handicaps and stuff. A little Featured dwarf guy who uh, sits there looking through the telescope all day. Yeah, and it's it's almost like, I don't know, it just seems um, sort of like a, uh, uh, now I can't think of the word for it, but it, it, it's uh, a voyeur, voyeuristic. It just, I don't know, I found it disturbing. Um, yeah, and, they, and there was nothing in that movie for me personally on an action level that I didn't feel like Road Warrior already gave me. So, and I like, I prefer, I think Mel Gibson is a zillion, even though I have to detach the actor from the character, I prefer Mel Gibson's Max to Tom Hardy's Max. Tom Hardy's Max just kind of, it was just kind of there. He didn't do anything for me. Mel Gibson's Max, he was cool. I mean, he, he was the kind of guy you believed could like drive down a road in a semi truck with one guy digging <laughs> claws into his neck, another guy like shooting an arrow in his leg and he'd just be like, F it, I'm doing it, you know? So, yeah. I hear you. Well, well Mel, you, Mel Gibson he, had more of the crazies in him. In well, his, yeah, his character and in real life. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think that's upon personal experience. The Fury Road, like they are so ham-fisted in showing um, Max's like mental state, his PTSD or whatever. You know, all those scenes over and over and over again of the little girl screaming at him or people running at him and screaming at him, and it's like we get it. The guy is suffering from you know PTSD and who knows what else, but like. I didn't even need to see that in Road Warrior to understand that he was that screwed up. I knew he was that screwed up. I get it, you know. He did, I knew that he was messed up and I didn't have to see all that kind of stuff. Well, that was you just know, sort of like you were saying earlier about it. not having to like hit you over the head with it. Right. It's been a while since I saw it. Uh, who was the villain in this one? I know he had the the mask thing. What was it? From a prior film? It was... No? Well, the Brand film was villain. called Immortan Joe, but the guy who played Toe Cutter in Mad Max played Immortan Joe. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. And I guess I one, of the women that was, one of the women that was uh, escaping with Max uh, was pregnant with his child. Mm -hmm. So he's totally obsessed with catching them. Right. They were his property. Um, Which I don't know. I don't have a problem with that depiction necessarily, because I think in a dystopian world, women are going to suffer pretty badly. So I get it. Um, that's not, I mean, we've seen that before in like Soylent Green, the women mm-hmm. in that world were, you know, called furniture, uh, right. and the rich guy's apartment. So, uh, that's nothing new. You all, you know, the weird thing is though, 
Both Soylent Green and Road Warrior took place in 2022. Road Warrior is earlier than 2022, though. Is it? Yeah. I thought thought it was supposed to be like 2022. Well, looking at the timeline from the Mad Max Bible guy, um, it's supposed to be in the early 80s because Mad Max is a few years from now, and that came out in 79. So, yeah, I don't – I think Mad Max 2 is still – still in the 80s but i don't I, know. I, Who knows? I love that we live in a world where there is a mad max bible guy not to be confused <laughs> with the planet of the apes bible people um that help us connect all of these fictional which we love and and live in worlds <laughs> hey you know if i could get a phd in this shit i would be so excited i that's the only thing i'd go back for my phd in I, I have a good friend in making uh, stuff up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> good friend. Uh, I see Tuesday nights at at Forbidden Island, Chad, and he wishes that he could have a job as a rum ambassador and just travel the globe, spreading the good joy of rum and sampling rums. And I'm like, oh, that would be a great. Job. <laughs> you know? So a PhD in 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 all this science fiction and and stuff would be a wonderful uh endeavor yeah if you could get paid for it well if you were studying for a phd you wouldn't have time to watch all this stuff and then uh you wouldn't know what to write on i wouldn't i wouldn't wouldn't have time for the podcast and that would be sad yeah indeed well my friends do we have anything else to uh say about fury road or mad max films or uh the road not traveled. No, I just think, uh, you know, if we have any advice at all to the listeners is watch Mad Max and watch Road Warrior. <laughs> and then after that, it's up to you. And I, make sure you always have a full tank of gas because you never know. And don't drive a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever, and, whatever and- car truck you're driving now that may be your post-apocalyptic vehicle so keep that in mind especially when you're out buying something new boy these days you just don't know you know you got to be prepared so think about you know what is your post-apocalyptic game plan go get yourself a hummer what what are you going to drive what are you going to wear what's going to be your weapon of choice Jesus Christ, so, the Hummer. How about you $500 to fill that tank? Get to the Hummer. Get, get two jobs. What, what do, you, do you ever think about like when you're, when you're getting dressed in the morning, like if there was suddenly some kind of apocalypse that that's what you're going to be wearing in the, uh, <laughs> out in the wasteland as you're trying to survive? Shorts and kids. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shorts and Crocs. You know, we got to do a, a another Road to the Apocalypse episode. There's oh, still- that would be And fun. discuss what we'd be wearing. Yeah, what sure. we'd be wearing besides well, we ha- what- we ha- That's where the Dragon Mobile came from, right? So- that's, that's true. That's where the Dragon Mobile oh, came yeah. from, that's right. The Dragon Mobile, a.k.a. Bob's Truck. 
That's right. <laughs> well, see, my truck will eventually morph into. You know, I'll have to like add stuff to it to make it the Dragon Mobile if it ends up in the post apocalypse. Uh, I don't know. When you run out of gas and I drive by in my Prius and give you a lift, <laughs> it might change your mind. <laughs> Boy, you and Jasmine are going to have to be sitting on that bicycle like 18 oh, hours yeah. a day to charge up that Prius. Gilligan's Island. Well, no, the Prius is half gas, half electric. It's it's mm. not all. It's a it's not a Tesla. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't plug it in. It, but then it, the battery wears like, out, and where are you? You're well, out the siphoning gas and the stealing gas cars. Engine and the kinetic energy from the wheels and the brakes, and it's all this other kind of stuff. But we do get about 550 miles to a tank, so That's nice. not complaining. Yeah. Um, the Tesla, I don't know what they're going to do. They, they are going to need that Gilligan's Island bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm getting rid of the truck and the, and the Prius and everything. I'm, I'm getting one of those gyrocopters. Screw that. There you go. You'll have a tactical <laughs> advantage over everybody. There you go. I can sleep on rooftops at night and no one will come and bother me. But anyway, it is that time in the podcast where we share with you all the latest and the greatest of gadgets and stuff. But this podcast, we have a special memoriam. Uh, Chief, go ahead and, and take it away, if you will. Well, yeah, this has been a fun episode so far, so sorry to bring people down, but I just found out as of today, the day that we are recording this, and it's actually St. Patty's Day, March 17th, but uh, I heard that Akira Takarada had passed away. And for those who do not know about uh, Mr. Takarada, he played Ogata in the original Godzilla 1954 and he's uh, appeared in quite a few Toho and Godzilla films since, including like my favorite movie of all time, Godzilla vs. The Thing, also known as Mothra vs. Godzilla. He was in Monster Zero, uh, Ebera, Horror of the Deep, also known as Godzilla vs. The Sea Monster, and you know a few other films, all the way up to like Godzilla Final Wars. And... Uh, He's been definitely like an ambassador appearing at conventions and shows all over the world and talking about his career in not only Godzilla films, but in movies and TV. He's a, he's a singer. He's a dancer. Uh, in fact, recently I was watching a movie called The Big Boss. It's not the Bruce Lee movie, but it's a Japanese film mm -hmm. called The Big Boss, where Akira Takarada plays a nightclub singer that gets uh, mixed up with the mob. And uh, he sings, he dances, he, you know, gets involved in the action. And it's just, a, it's an amazing film if you can ever find it. But, um, but yeah, Akira Takarada, definitely a loss. Uh, I had met him at Monster Palooza which was a definite honor. And uh, the kind of the two stories I tell from there, uh, one was I have this Godzilla Chronicles book, 
big thick book that basically covers the Shoah films. So whenever there's a uh, Shoah actor or you know someone who's on a crew or something at a show, I bring this big old book and have them sign it like a yearbook. So I brought it for Akira Takarada to sign. And he looked at it and he was looking, he was just like sitting there just looking at all the signatures and then he was like thumbing through the pages trying to find all the pictures of him inside the book and (laughs) signed it. And I think he signed a couple of the other pictures that he really liked. And, uh, And then the other thing was he had brought with him a Bullmark King Ghidra figure, which uh, this thing was made back in the 70s. And uh, so he was selling it. So I said, okay, I'll buy it. So I bought a King Ghidra Bullmark figure from Akira Takarada and had him sign the wing. So that's kind <laughs> of my one of my prized positions. Um, nice. But yeah, no, he, was, he was great, great with the fans. Great at the shows, great with interviews, very generous with his time, and uh, will definitely be missed. He, he died of pneumonia uh, in a hospital in Japan, uh, 87, so he you know lived a fairly long life, and uh, he was kind of considered one of the uh, the elders in uh, amongst the Godzilla actors. Uh, there's a couple more left, but you know he was he had been in the first film. And quite a few throughout, so he was kind of like the actor as far as that genre goes. So, uh, rest in peace, Akira Takarada. You will be greatly missed. Yes, indeed. Rest in peace. Um, okay, guys, this was another fun episode. Uh, Until that part, listener. right? <laughs> <laughs> Until Bob brought it down. Then it became very solemn. Somber. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy until we meet again. This is Planet 8 signing off. Adios. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. get out of here you talk to me <laughs>